Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. Ooh. And welcome to Gay Pompeii. Gay Pompeii. Now you've heard of Gay Paris, right? Like anybody has. Yes. But this is this is not Gay Paris, this okay. is Gay Pompeii. Okay. You're just going to accept it unquestioningly. Well, I, do, I, I assume no you're going to fill that. me in on, on how this how this works. No I intended. I am going to fill you in, Brian. And I I thought since one of your favorite subjects is the erotic frescoes of the ancient world, <laughs> that we would start out with this story and that you would have something to say about it. Because sure. There have been some gay frescoes that have been unearthed at Pompeii. <gasps> well, I can tell you that that is not. Not to say that I've heard of these, but I can say that that's definitely not the worst thing that's been found in Pompeii. But please continue. <laughs> what was the worst thing? Well, let's not let, let's let's not uh you know uh, let's not distract from yeah the main yeah let's story. let's get to the point that we could talk. Okay, more well about I'm going to come back to stuff. that because I right. want to know what the worst thing in your opinion that was okay. found in Pompeii. Was. Well, worst. Uh, well, no, it's actually, not really I, in your opinion. It's in the opinion of the conservative British archaeologists and the Catholic Church and all those people who tried to cover it up, right? Yes, but I will say out of the gate, it's not something I'm into. Continue. Okay, gotcha. Well, I don't know if you'll be into this either, but someone out there will be. So anyway, from Indy100.com, an expert believes that gay porn at Pompeii could change how the world thinks about religion and sex by Greg Evans. No, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It Just, probably won't. No. <laughs> Pompeii is best known as being the ancient Roman city that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius around 79 AD. This vast archaeological site has provided scientists and other experts with invaluable data about the city and the people that live there. New discoveries are co continuously being made at this location, including a preserved man in a less than flattering position. And they're referencing a story that broke a couple weeks ago about it looked like they found a man that basically appeared to be jerking off with his dick in his hand as oh. he was as he was being <laughs> buried alive in ashes. Well, I mean, what if I saw go, the lava right? flowing towards me and I was alone, yeah. hey. Talk about the writing is on the wall. One last thrill. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the writing on the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um However, the artwork that existed in the city could now provide a new insight into the Bible's relationship with sexuality. Many pieces of art found at Pompeii contain explicit images of sexual acts between members of the opposite sex and the same sex. Reverend, Stephen, Reverend Steve Chalk, a prominent Christian in the UK and an advocate for LGBTQ inclusion in the church, these, says these images can help us better understand the context of the Bible. 
In a video produced by his organization, Oasis Open Church Network, Chalk details how gay sex was common in the Roman Empire, an era where many passages of the Bible were written. Six different passages in the Bible refer to homosexual behavior, according to Believe Out Loud. They are known as clobber passages, and they're often used to demean or insult gay Christians. Yeah, usually like Romans 1. Romans, Romans, cha- Romans chapter 1 talks quite a bit about homosexuality. I would like to, Brian, is, Brian can quote chapter and verse, so w- well, what does Romans 1 actually say? Now, it, it, it's talking about the fact that like men laying with men, women uh-huh. laying with women, a lot of the stuff is, very, is a very debased act. Okay. This is like Romans 1, almost like chapter 1. Or, I mean, it's chapter 1, almost like verse 1. Uh, and it even gets into animals, I believe, too, in that verse. And that is kind of a, a hint at what I might talk about that's worse uh, oh. that, that, we, that we were hinting at. Anyway, okay. please continue. However, Chalk claims that the Apostle Paul was writing these passages when rich Roman citizens were exploiting the lower classes for sexual favors. So this was sex work, but it was not fair sex work. It was sex slavery, basically. Sure. In Rome, sex was an important thing. If you were a man, you were expected to have sexual playthings aside from your wife. Your wife was to pass on the family line, but you would have a mistress, a concubine, and a boy that you would have sex with as well. And all of that was expected. It was normal. It wasn't frowned upon and it was written about. But what you weren't allowed to do under any circumstances was to have sex with another Roman. Roman citizens were protected. You could only have sex with someone of lesser status with a slave or a gladiator. Yeah, now I just want to bring this up, not saying any of this is okay, but a Roman citizen could be of any, like, ethnicity or ancestry. Like, Paul himself was a Roman, you know, Paul that they mentioned, the Apostle Paul. He was a Roman citizen, but he was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it wasn't like just the white people, you know, were were allowed to have these kind of special protections and rights and whatever. Uh, It's just whoever happened to be born within Rome, and particularly during the time of Pax Romana. Uh, but, and how did you prove that you were a Roman citizen? Oh, ju- it, it, I mean, it's no different than how citizen citizenship is done today. You go to the local magistrate and they kind of, you know, at the time they would give sort of a, a, uh, a state blessing of sorts um, that this child is a Roman. But that's all it took was to be born in Rome okay. um, at the time. And yeah, so but, but I'm just saying, like, like, don't think that I mean, like. Really, black people could have been Romans. I mean, there's a lot of options about how all this, you know, could have, could have gone down. It's not like they're talking about a very specific ethnicity when they say Roman citizens. Okay, interesting. So, well, this this um, this guy has a theory. This priest or whatever he is, a bishop or I don't know what what you call him, but a religious leader has a theory that basically it's the exploitation that they thought was bad, not the gay nature of the relationships. Chalk believes that. Paul and other writers in the New Testament were speaking out against the level of sexual debauchery on the grounds of exploitation. Quote, the New Testament has nothing to say about same-sex relationships. None of this, Paul's writings, is about relationships at all. It's about the use and abuse of another person for an act of pleasure, and it's right from the artwork and pictures that we now have from Pompeii. Don't exploit, don't abuse, live together in harmony, include, and work at relationships. That's what he's saying the message is. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do no, you... I, I yeah, no? This, this has been tried a lot where <laughs> where a lot of like homosexual Christians are trying to because they they really especially with Paul and it is the works of Paul where they have to address Romans 1. They're like, "Okay, how do we say that this makes sense?" Uh, you know, and still allow us all to be gay 
you know, under under God and all this. Um, and and I, I just I, I think that's absolute horseshit. If you read Romans one, it is one of the most damning, clear cut bits of writing, particularly by by Paul um, that you'll find anywhere. I mean, it, it's 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 painfully clear that, no, this is debased. This is wrong. Uh, some people like to go with the book of Romans and then they go into like Romans chapter nine, where it talks about carnal Christians and all this stuff. I mean, th these are just what is a carnal Christian? Carnal Christian is the I, so it comes from the notion that where Paul talks about that, um, like the only way you can experience grace from God, you can experience forgiveness is by sinning. And so carnal Christians is this idea <laughs> that, well, I better sin a whole hell of a lot. Going. Yeah. And, and that way I can get more grace. You know, from doing that. And I mean, and talking about faith and grace and all this stuff, these are all terms that are very loaded in Christianity. Yes. It would take an entire podcast to discuss. Um, but no, I, this is all like ex post, ex post facto kind of attempts at justification. Um, there's even, I mean, Romans particularly, there's Romans 13 that talks, that effectively says Hitler was put there by God. I mean, and that is the most, that is the most egregious and disgusting and atrocious statement that any religious person could ever possibly fucking make. Um, so no, the, look, it's just a book. It's a book. It's very clear cut in what it says. And, and, and it, it's ironic because this isn't the only subject that has entire other books written about it. Um, in the book of Romans. You know, there's there's one that tries to explain how Romans 13 didn't allow for Hitler. And it doesn't say because there's like anarchist Christians. Right. And Romans 13 is a huge problem for them because it's saying that, no, you know, uh, you know, God puts your leaders there and, and you're you're supposed to follow them. And so there's entire, you know, massive tomes that are just trying to justify how Romans 13 isn't really saying that. And it's crap. No, the book says what it says. And it's disgusting. You know, like, like, just, like, just, just accept So that you fact. think there's no way that you could possibly reconcile being a Christian gay person or a Christian anarchist or whatever, that's someone who doesn't follow the Bible to the letter. You think these are just wishful interpretations? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think it's very wishful. And for, for a few other reasons, too. One is, is that the New Testament, as we understand it, the earliest date that, that you could, and I mean, and you're really like massaging the evidence to come up with this number. The earliest date that that was compiled would have been in 91 CE. Now understand that Pompeii, you know, the, 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 the volcano, the famous volcano that, yeah. that buried Pompeii 79. was in 79 AD. CE, right? Okay. And 80 CE. Yes. Yeah, CE, right. Yeah. Um, and so this would have been, you know, 20, well, 11, I mean, you know, it's it's some years removed from that kind of thing happening. And I don't think it's a far stretch at all. And it's hard to find writings from really early, what you would call the anti-Nicene fathers, people before the Nicene Council around the third century. Okay, uh, uh, CE. It's really hard to find writings from people about that. But if you don't think that Christians weren't saying, you see what happened in Pompeii? That's God's fucking justice coming down. I mean, like Hurricane Katrina. Exactly. You, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's the same thing. And you think they weren't saying that because of, you know, the fact that they were having, you know, gay sex and all this other stuff happening in there? Of course they were. And now I'll tell you the thing that was worse and that is also very clear cut, especially in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, that, that, that has been found in Pompeii is you have statues and we still have these. We have these statues. Uh, even though they're in like secret rooms in Italian museums, there's statues where guys are like blowing goats, like literally giving blowjobs to goats. Okay. Now, I mean, there's no, like, look, I would argue 
as somebody who's ethnically Jainish, I would argue that and was raised in Jainism. Or <laughs> See our previous episode. He doesn't really mean Jainish. He means Jewish. Yeah. We had a joke about the religion that starts with a J. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I would argue that the entire purpose of Levitical law is to keep humans from fucking camels and goats. Like, that's the point. You know, and so... Well, it's pretty sad that they had to make a law about that. Sure, right. <laughs> but I mean, but there's a reason that all these things come up and they get talked about as being debased. Now, there, there's, some, there's some wiggle room inside of what Paul does describe about relationships, which, is, which are very interesting. In his letters to the Corinthians, he talks, like, there seems to be these three types of people saying that, and, and here, here's, this is another hint about, no, there's no way that this is okay. Um, he says, and he's talking about men and women. He's describing three types of relationships. This is really key. He says, there's men and women who, uh, he said, the best thing for a man and woman is to never get married, to never get into a relationship, to never get in, give into the carnal pleasures, right? To never get into sex and whatever. He said, because then you give 100% of your life to the Lord. Don't get into relationships. Paul was saying, don't get into relate any kind of relationship. Just only have a relationship with the church, not with another human being or anything like this. Uh, not a loving romantic one anyway. He said, but if you just can't help yourself, fine, get married, you know, in the church and all that. Uh, but he's, he's the whole time he's talking about men and women. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's making it super clear, you know, what, what he's describing. But there's a third relationship that he's kind of describing where like it's not marriage, but it's still sort of okay. But this whole time he's talking about men and women as being the okay relationships. Like the only way this argument makes sense if you is if you take every other work, uh, all the other Pauline letters in the New Testament, if you take them completely out of context, if you completely remove them from, you know, and look, when you're, when you're interpreting the Bible, I mean, look, I used to be a Christian. I know how the score goes. Okay. There's kind of a rule in biblical scholarship that is, uh, it's a biblical rule because it's based off of a biblical verse, which is, you know, to find the truth, um, you know, look where two or three witnesses agree. And that means don't just look at one verse. If right. the verse repeats itself, yeah. if they're, you know, look at other verses, those are the, those are your two or three witnesses. Well, guess what? The two or three witnesses in the rest of the New Testament say, no, a relationship is only between a man and a woman. Um, and if anything, don't have a relationship at all. So this is, this, this is so crazy, hmm. you know, that, that this kind of argument, uh, is is really being made. I mean, in far worse, again, like I said, far worse things were obviously going on in Pompeii. I mean, you know, that then far worse, not in my opinion, in the conventional opinion, even though I think, you know, bestiality is not a good thing. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not on board with that at all. Well, you know, speaking of things that are taboo in the Christian sense, um, we went to an interesting exhibit uh, at a greenhouse, actually, and it was a historical exhibit about the herbs that were used as yes. medicinal compounds in Pompeii. And half of them were abortifacient herbs, like they were to cause abortions. Yeah. Well, it's important to keep in mind that like Pompeii, like even Rome, like Rome proper saw Pompeii as kind of a like a bad place you know it wasn't really? just yeah it, was like it wasn't debaucherous kind of yeah like even they thought it might have been a little too extreme and it mm. wasn't just the christians because and actually about 160 years before the volcano went off um in 79 ad there was a pretty unsuccessful rebellion that pompey sided with uh and obviously that rebellion lost and mm. so you know pompey's kind of a 
I mean, when wow. It, so that's really interesting because it is kind of like you know, New Orleans, right, is seen as a place of debauchery. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. I mean, this. Yeah, this was the New Orleans of its day. Absolutely, right down. I'm to not the port. saying it got struck down by God or anything, but no. it's just interesting that people sort of there was a natural disaster that happened to a place where there was a lot of debauchery, and people said, "Oh, good." They got what they deserved. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, an interesting thing uh, happens here, you know, with, with this. And, and because I think both Rome and Christians were actually very pleased that, um, you know, that, that this, that, you know, Mount Vesuvius went off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and did its uh, de- its deed to Pompeii. Because then, you know, not, not too many years later, hundreds of years, well, I guess, you know, however much long later, you end up with kind of the Eastern Roman Empire in Byzantium. And there... Suddenly you have the the aristocracy, the elite of Byzantium, like having just orgies that make what happened in Pompeii look like a folk dance, Mm. you know, and and so it's really, yeah, those urges, they gotta go somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) that's the bottom line, and I don't think the Christians wanted them there, and I don't think the Romans wanted them there really either, even though, yeah, life finds a way. Well, what are you going to do with your urges in the next segment? We'll have to fi- wait about one minute to find out, but there's more <laughs> coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned for segment two. Woo! We're talking antibiotics. Hey, I would like to like take this opportunity to let everybody know about the Sex and Science Hour Facebook group. It's called Sex and Science Hour Podcast Community on Facebook. Just type it into the search bar and join dozens of very cool Sex and Science Hour listeners, and you can meet them and mingle and suggest show prep and uh, ask your relationship questions in the group. Share stories. Now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour, segment two. All right. We got a really cool medical story for our science segment here. Okay. In case you're not familiar with the format of our show, listen to some of our past shows. You can go to sexandsciencehour.com and hear all past episodes going back to season one. We're on season four now. And, uh, you know, we have a kind of a format of the way we do our show. First segment is usually uh, a wild card, an interesting story of any of our choice. Segment two is the science segment. So we get into the hard science. Segment three is sex. And now in season four, we have segment four, where we talk about your uh, listener questions. Your burning, pressing questions. Yes. And sometimes there's more than the question that's just, that's burning and <laughs> pressing. Um, <laughs> Wait, that sounds like an STI. Hold on. <laughs> well, let's continue. So anyway, if you have relationship questions, please head on over to our website, sexandsciencehour.com. Use the contact form to anonymously send in your questions to the show. And feel free to make up a funny name for yourself. Like, uh, we had last week, we heard from Philip Myaz. <laughs> we often hear from Mike Oxard and uh, Fanny Wanks a lot. Fanny so. Wanks a lot, still the best one. <laughs> I mean, that, that, hi, Fanny. Good luck. We know yeah, you're hi, listening. Fanny. We know who you we are. We know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> you're the best. But we won't know who you are unless you tell us. So, anyway, um, this comes from listener Daryl, and I think this is a really interesting story. He wanted to know our opinion on this. So, uh, this is from The Guardian. And the headline is, rule that patients must finish antibiotics course is wrong, study says. Experts suggest patients should stop taking the drugs when they feel better rather than completing their prescription by Sarah Bosley. Telling patients to stop taking antibiotics when they feel better may be preferable to instructing them to finish the whole course, according to a group of experts who argue that the rule, long embedded in the minds of doctors and the public, is wrong and should be overturned. 
Patients have traditionally been told that they must complete courses of antibiotics, the theory being that taking too few tablets will allow the bacteria causing their disease to mutate and become resistant to the drug. But Martin Llewellyn, a professor in infectious diseases at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, and colleagues claim that this is not the case. In an analysis in the British Medical Journal, the experts say, the idea that stopping antibiotic treatment early encourages antibiotic resistance is not supported by evidence. While taking antibiotics for longer than necessary increases the risk of resistance. There are some diseases where the bug can become resistant if the drugs are not taken for long enough. The most obvious example is tuberculosis, they say. But most of the bacteria that cause people to become ill are found on everybody's hands in the community, causing no harm, such as E. coli and Staphylococcus aureus. People fall ill only when the bug gets into the bloodstream or the gut. The longer such bacteria are exposed to antibiotics, the more likely it is that resistance will develop. The experts say there has been too little research into the ideal length of a course of antibiotics, which also varies from one individual to the next, depending on what, depending in part on what antibiotics they have taken in the past. In hospital, patients can be tested to work out when to stop the drugs. Outside the hospital, where repeated testing may not be feasible, patients might best be advised to stop treatment when they feel better, they say. That, they add, is in direct contradiction to the World Health Organization advice. Other experts in infectious diseases backed the group. I've always thought it's illogical to say that stopping antibiotic treatment early promotes the emergence of drug-resistant organisms, said Peter Openshaw, president of the British Society for Immunology. This brief but authoritative review supports the idea that antibiotics may be used more sparingly, pointing out that the evidence for a long duration of therapy is at best tenuous. Far from being irresponsible, shortening the duration of a course of antibiotics might make antibiotic resistance less likely. Alison Holmes, a professor of infectious disease at Imperial College London, said a great Brit British authority, Professor Harold Lambert, had made the same point in a Lancet article entitled, Don't Keep Taking the Tablets, as early as 1999. Don't keep taking them! That's, <laughs> That's funny. It remains astonishing that apart from some specific infections and conditions, we still do not know more about the optimum duration of courses, or indeed doses, in many conditions. Yet this dogma has been pervasive and persistent. Jody Lindsay, a professor of microbial pathogenesis at St. George's University of London, said it was sensible advice. The evidence for completing the course is poor, and the length of the course of antibiotics has been estimated based on a fear of undertreating rather than any studies, she said. The evidence for shorter courses of antibiotics being equal to longer courses in terms of cure or outcome is generally good, although more studies would help and there are a few exceptions where longer courses are better, for example, tuberculosis. But the Royal College of GPs expressed concerns. Recommended courses of antibiotics are not random, said its chair, Professor Helen Stokes Lambert. They are tailored to individual conditions and in many cases courses are quite short. For urinary tract infections, for example, three days is often enough to cure the infection. We are concerned about the concept of patients stopping taking their medication midway through a course once they feel better, because improvement in symptoms does not necessarily mean the infection has been completely eradicated. It's important that patients have clear messages, and the mantra to always take the full course of antibiotics is well known. Changing this will simply confuse people. Well, shit. I mean, if it's wrong, you have to change it. To, it doesn't matter if people get confused. All right, I'm going to try to refrain from commenting until the end. We're almost done here. Sure. England's chief medical officer, Professor Dame Sally Davies, said, The message to the public remains the same. People should always follow the advice of healthcare professionals. 
to update policies we need further research to inform them. The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence is currently developing guidance for managing common infections, which we will look at all of the available evidence on appropriate prescribing of antibiotics. The Department of Health will continue to review the evidence on prescribing and drug-resistant infections as we aim to continue the great progress we've made at home and abroad on this issue. So that's the article here. So is this just medical dogma? Is this not based on evidence? Is this actually an over-treatment that nobody has ever bothered to research? Hey, can we get away with taking less antibiotics? Is that going to be just as good for people? And is is part of the reason for that because doctors totally ignore or aren't aware of or don't care about the impact of good bacteria and how they help our bodies function normally, like our gut flora that we really need and our skin flora? You know, so far be it for me, like, I mean, you're, you know, the biochemist here, you're the PhD, so (laughs) you're certainly going to have far more educated, uh, you know, comments on the whole matter. Um, I I sort of feel like this isn't one of those cases where, look, there's plenty of conspiracies and conspiracy theories and genuine problems with, shall we say, Western medicine, for lack of a better term. Yes. Um, And I don't know that this is one of them. Like, I, I, I don't know that really that they're thinking, no, 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 let's just give them all the antibiotic we can. You know, let's let's overdose it. Uh, in fact, in my you know anecdotal experience, it's never been that way. Like, it's it's almost always been the opposite that usually a person has to go back and get more. And in fact, they set it up that way to where you have to refill the subscription, you know, uh, after a certain amount of time, if it's you know, if it's going to stop working or whatever. Um But also, you know, one of the reasons that, I mean, I I get it that people say, well, like, say you're taking an antibiotic for like an abscess tooth or something, right? Um, They might think, oh, well, the swelling's gone down, I'll stop. A lot of people stop as soon as they can because they want to keep their own little personal stock of antibiotics. Oh, yeah, that's a prepper thing. Yeah, right. If the shit hits the fan, you should have antibiotics. I have some antibiotics that I've kept for that purpose. Ooh, well, someone... (laughs) Maybe I should admit that on the air, but (laughs) I think everybody does it, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, but I mean, but that's a common thing as well. I think that should be considered when thinking it's like, well, are they prescribing too much and all this? I mean, doctors don't want that to happen, but that does happen. So I, doctors that's what, don't want you to have a stock of pills that you could take without no, consulting one of them. I agree. And that might be why they tell you to finish the course. But I mean, come on, there's an obvious incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to say, to say, oh yeah, yeah, you need 12 days worth of this medicine. You know what I mean? Like if if you have to buy the whole course of medicine, right, they want to make the course as big as possible so that you buy as much as possible rather than just making it as sh- as little as they can get away with. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but I, I think I think on the flip side, you have law enforcement, you have, you know, the authorities, quote unquote, that like. You know, they, they see a real problem with like black market sales of, of these kinds of things. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been in this, I've seen that not for me personally, but I've been, I've seen the situations where people are like trying to get more pills or something, or they're trying to, um, I don't know, they're, they're pulling some kind of stunt with, with prescriptions, which that's the only way you can get antibiotics and all that. And I mean, it is treated serious as a heart attack. You know, like, like, I mean, they just don't, they don't mess around when it comes to, you know, when, or at least it seems in, in my experience, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have the experience where antibiotics or, or, you know, uh, uh, prescriptions are just handed out willy nilly, you know, with no problem. Uh, but 
yeah, maybe it's a little both. I don't know. I, I just, I, I really don't think there's something necessarily fishy going on here. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't think there's something nefarious going on either, really. I just think that, um, Western medicine has not gotten the memo and it's going to take another 10, 15 years probably because we're just finding this out from science and it takes a while to trickle down into actual medicine and public health policy. Um, Doctors don't understand or don't care about the importance of gut bacteria and skin Mm -hmm. bacteria, the healthy, good bacteria that we're all covered in all the time, whose cells outnumber our own by a factor of 10. Those things are very important and that can influence our behavior and and yeah. other things about us. I mean, those are very important. And the consequences of wiping them out with antibiotics or broad spectrum antibiotics or wiping out large swaths of them are really, really has not been studied very well. And I don't know, I just think there are a lot of doctors who were educated and, and they just thought there was no, there were basically no negative consequences to taking antibiotics except drug resistant bacteria mm-hmm. forming. That was the only right. negative consequence. Right. The super bugs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how much this is going to matter. Yes, I think everybody has been told by a doctor. Everyone who's gotten antibiotics has been lectured by the doctor. Say, it's very important you take the whole course of antibiotics. You're going to start to feel better in three or four days, but you have to take the whole course anyway. Everybody has gotten that lecture. But I think that a lot of people... I don't think everybody complies with that advice. Sure. Because people don't just comply with doctor's orders blindly. Some people do, but a lot of people don't, especially if it's making them sick from side effects mm-hmm. or if it's very expensive and they can save money by not getting the whole course. Right. Oh, yeah, I think people are going to go against the doctor's orders if they find some benefit to themselves that overrides the sense of, well, the doctor said I should take the whole course. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the more concerning situation, and, and if you have more you want to say on this, of course, but I think the more concerning situation is that antibiotics, while like the prescriptions themselves are taken very seriously, are st- are overprescribed for things that maybe they don't need to be prescribed for. Yeah. Like, I think that's a far more concerning thing. And, and I know that's something being talked about now in medical circles, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's really interesting because... So many times in medicine, there's things that, that (laughs) there's this idea of the greater good, right? Right. You should take the whole course of antibiotics, even if you're getting sick with side effects. Right. Because you don't want to create drug resistant superbugs. Or you as a doctor should change your threshold for when you prescribe antibiotics because we don't want to create resistant bacteria. Right. And maybe some people are negatively affected by that. There's this whole like sort of focus on the group instead of the individual and i think that can be problematic sometimes Hmm. it really can because it's you know you are an individual right and i don't think the needs of the individual necessarily have to be opposed to that of the greater good or the group but there's there's so much of this thinking about the about so-called public health it's all about numbers and populations it's not none of it's about individuals yeah absolutely so anyway, um, so should you take the, the whole course of antibiotics? I don't know. I'm not telling you what to do. I think the article is right that, that there needs to be more research on it. And I would like to see um, if maybe, you know, for some things we could get away with shorter courses of antibiotics. You know, when birth control pills first came out, um, the doses of hormones were incredibly high, you know, on the order of 100 times higher than the natural levels of, of hormones in a woman's body. Mm-hmm. And also they were tested on men, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is scary, quite frankly. And um, over time, 
research was done and it was found that you could get away with using less doses of hormones and that it wasn't it wasn't um, without negative consequences to use these very high doses of hormones. Right. So you should try to get away with less if possible. So they figured out the sort of lowest doses that you could get away with using and still prevent pregnancy. And I think it should be the same thing for antibiotics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, there's a whole lot of reform to go on in the medical. Oh, world. yeah, I mean, definitely. It's the practice of medicine. They're trying to get it right, you know, and I but I think I, I'm not sure how much this will matter, because I don't know how many people actually follow the doctor's orders so dutifully and religiously. Anyway, I think a lot of people do stop taking antibiotics once they feel better. And there's just nothing it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what the doctor says, because they're going to do what they want anyway. Yeah, I mean, me like, if I even if I feel like I'm doing better, I don't know, admittedly, and not that it like, I mean, I'm a very anti authority, anti authority person, anti authoritarian person. Um, I probably still take it to the end, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, just because just because you think the doctor's an expert and you don't want anything. Bad well, I know I'm not, yeah. you know, and and so I'm, I'm going to kind of rely on, on the system well, just you know, a little bit in that case. Okay, that's interesting. But the scary thing in this article was there was a, there was one of the doctors was saying, well, we can't just change the messaging because people are familiar with the messaging that you have to take the whole course. So it's easier just to stay on message, even if it's wrong. That's what she was saying. Wow. See, I think I, I got to believe some people are because I've seen it where they will they want you to like refill as needed. And so they just give you less. And if they don't want to change the message, well, then just make it that people will have to refill it or something after yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah. I don't think you should keep, I don't think you should stick with a wrong practice because that's right. what people are familiar with or that's what people know. That's really scary. No, I mean, how much of an idiot do they think people are? I guess some people are idiots, yes, but not everybody's an idiot and it shouldn't be like this dumbed down message of like, oh, we're doing, we're doing antiquated practices because people can't handle a change in message. They can't handle new information. Well, better better to have that confusion and be right than to be wrong. And yeah, exactly. Who knows what will happen because of that? Yeah, you got to keep doing what you think is best for the patient. That's what medicine is all about. Not creating a PR message that isn't confusing, but doing what's best for the individual, the yeah, patient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. What will we prescribe for the sex segment? Stay tuned. <laughs> Hey there, Sex and Science Hour fans. If you like listening to my voice, you might want to check out my audiobooks. Go get yourself over to Amazon, or sorry, <laughs> audible.com. It works on Amazon too, but uh, audible.com or .co.uk or AU or Canada or whatever your favorite Audible is. Search for my name, Stephanie Murphy, and I want you to do me a favor and check out a book I narrated recently called Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law. This is an awesome, well-researched book with hundreds of stories from individual sex workers about their experience of what it's like being in this quasi-legal kind of profession or illegal in some places. And it's a fascinating book, really gets you into the mindset of what it's like to be a sex worker. It gave me a new appreciation for it, and you will too. Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law by Allison Bass. Now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour. It's Stephanie here with you, and Brian, of Ooh. course. I, we never introduce ourselves anymore. I guess the intro does it for yeah, us. Yeah, it does it for us. Yeah, I think it, I think they can figure out who's who. But uh, anyway, we got another medical... I'm Stephanie, by the way. Nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, stop it, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> 
We've got another medical story here in segment three. Um, and this was sent in by a listener. So I'm just going to pull up their comments and, and read it uh, from Pete. So my wife showed me this post on Facebook on the Birth Anarchy Facebook page. I am horrified. Does Stephanie have any thoughts considering her medical school experience? And then he linked me to the Facebook post and an article from the Washington Post called uh, Practice Versus Privacy on Pelvic Exams by Avram Goldstein. And this is from 2003, so it's an old article, but I don't, I would like to hear if there's an update to it. Okay. So, uh, so here goes. And yes, I did, um, what he's referring to about my medical background is it says Dr. Stephanie Murphy in the title of my show. Um, I am a PhD doctor. I have a PhD in biochemistry. I was in a, an MD PhD program. So I was studying to get both an MD medical doctorate and a PhD. I wanted to do scientific research and invent cures for diseases, but I got very frustrated from both by this, the whole system and the lifestyle that went along with it. It wasn't for me. I wasn't happy. And so I made a career change and got out. And now I'm a podcaster and a voice actor. Yay. Um, but I did go to medical school for two years. I did not finish, but I did uh, get some experience in that system. And, um, you know, uh, frankly, medicine is fascinating. The, the human body is amazing. And I'm so passionate about health and, and wellness. But what I saw in the medical system um, was was a turnoff to me as far as working in it right. for my whole life, and I didn't think that it it really wasn't what I what I expected, and I didn't think it was the best way to have a happy life for myself and make a difference in the lives of others. So I left. Um, but anyway, so privacy versus practice on pelvic exams from the Washington Post. Let me read you this article. When Zara Heckscher went to George Washington University Hospital last month to have an ovarian cyst removed, she asked her surgeon if medical students would be practicing pelvic exams on her while she was unconscious. She was shocked. The answer was yes. Medical students, interns, and residents at teaching hospitals across the nation routinely learn how to perform such examinations by practicing on patients under anesthesia, medical educators say. And GWU hospital officials say their program is no exception. Everyone I spoke with there acknowledged that they normally do this, Hexer said. I think it's just such a violation. So the 38-year-old district woman wrote a note on her consent form forbidding anyone other than her attending physician to perform a pelvic exam on her while she was under anesthesia. On the way to the operating room, she mentioned it to everyone she encountered. Some agreed with me, and a couple looked at me like I was a little crazy, but they said okay, she said. Heckscher and a growing number of activists say they think women should be advised routinely about the pelvic exam lessons and given the opportunity to refuse. Gabrielle Lichterman, who recently launched a New York-based group called People Against Non-Consensual Pelvic Exams, says that an overwhelming majority of the nation's 400 teaching hospitals use the generalized consent form as a permission to perform the exams, and her group wants federal legislation to ban the practice. Women are being victimized, she said. This is simply unethical, and we want it abolished. I'm very optimistic that this will take under a year. Uh, now, anyway, so then they have um, some quotes from people saying, oh, well, it's not really ba that bad. It's not really rapey. Um, I, I don't know how they can justify this, but it, it, by all accounts, to me, it appears that this practice has been discontinued. Now, I agree, it's very disconcerting that this was standard practice in 2003. Mm -hmm. That's like there's some states that had laws on the books that said you can't legally rape somebody 
who is your wife, even if you force her to have sex with you against her will. That's the definition of rape. But if you're married, it's not rape. Sure. They had those laws. There were some states that had those laws on the books until the 1990s. Right. And and look at this. Um, medical students are performing pelvic exams on people who are unconscious. That is a, a penetration in case you don't know what goes on during a pelvic exam. You know, it's someone sticking their fingers up a woman's vagina yeah. or a person's vagina and feeling their uterus and ovaries and cervix and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, that is that is a violation if they're if they're unconscious and don't maybe don't even know that it's taking place. Yeah. I mean, get a doll or something. When I was in medical school, we had dolls that uh, not dolls, but like models that we could use to practice the pelvic and prostate exams on. Mm -hmm. We had like sort of male and female models. And then when we learned how to do those exams, they had paid patient actors, they're called, they're people who volunteer and are given some money (laughs) to let us practice our first exams on them. Right. And I mean, I thought that was a fair way of doing it, right? They're not going to make us practice on each other. That's mortifying. Like, yeah, we can listen to each other's hearts and lungs, and that's not really weird. But <laughs> it would be weird if we were feeling around in each other's junk um, so yeah. or each other's treasure. So, <laughs> um, so they pay people to let us do it for them. And some of these people are very – some of these people are activists. They – they want to teach medical students how to perform a pelvic exam in a way that's comforting for the patient, that's comfortable for the patient, that is sensi- sensitive to people's issues that they may have of being examined in that way, mm-hmm. that teaches uh, gyne- future gynecologists who are or doctors who are really good and put the patient at ease and don't do anything that makes them uncomfortable, don't do anything that hurts or pinches or just makes the p- patient feel icky. And some of them are, are great at teaching it. You know, they're doing a real service and they're getting paid for it. So um, that's how they handle it. When I was in medical school, that was in 2006. So that was at three years after this article was written. So maybe that was around the time when the tide was shifting. But man, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wouldn't be that surprised if some of this still went on in some places. Sure. I mean, I remember in the late 90s and early aughts around, I guess, not far from the time of this article, 2003, like there was the big Time Magazine kind of expose, the best kept secret in the medical world, which was that students were, you know, you didn't know that the person, say, performing a surgery on you or some kind of serious, you know, medical uh, procedure you didn't know that, that that was a student, but it was like, and that this, I mean, this kind of stuff, you know, a lot of these little secret things being done, you know, as far as training or whatever else in the medical world, like it's very, seemed to be very commonplace. And there was a stink raised after that fact, wait a minute, what the fuck do you mean that students are, are operating on me? This is crazy. These people, you know, and the argument, of course, back and forth is, is that, well, they got to learn somehow and we don't have simulators, you know, for them to learn on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, none of I don't care what the argument is. I mean, because and I hate to I hate to do this because supposedly you, lo- you lose the argument when you do this. But um, like it just smacks a little too much of Nazi Germany for me where you, you know, well, for the good of medical knowledge, for the good of medical science, for forwarding medicine, we've got to do some ugly shit. And if that means we have to give you a pelvic exam while you're knocked out, guess what? That's what's going to happen. Now, I mean, this is, you know, and, and understand because, and this is the thing, is that the Nazis didn't care about human life. And arguably, they forwarded medical science inside of just a couple of years 
by 50 to 100 years. And there was, in the 80s, there was a huge conference about this where they said, where, where there was the argument, wait a minute, can are, is it even ethical of us to, to use, use this knowledge, to yeah. use the knowledge that the Nazis gathered on, on, on medical science? Um, and I mean, that was a huge fucking debate. And that debate was had because, yeah, that's a really great question. Well, guess what? This is fucking unethical. Yeah. You know, and there's there's no and there's and like you already described, there's no requirement. There's no need to do things this way. Yeah. Not only is it unethical and incredibly rapey, I mean, it's a violation. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. It is not a good way to learn how to do a pelvic exam because when you're a real doctor, you're going to be doing that unless you're a surgeon who's doing surgery on a, a patient who is unconscious. Mm-hmm. You're going to be doing it on patients who are awake. Yeah, and, and you'll have reactions. And you're able to feel if yeah. you do something that pinches them or is yeah. uncomfortable or cold or whatever. And they're going to be giving you feedback about that yeah. <laughs> in real time because they will be able to speak. So it's not a good way to learn it. So, yeah, this is I mean, terrifying. I, it, it is terrifying. Um, I'm, I'm always a little bit... I, I'm going to have to check out this Facebook article because... Or the Facebook post because I wonder if they were sort of... Uh, well, see, I can't, I can't find it now, but, uh, I wonder if they were sort of, um, presenting this as something that is going on today and not realizing that it was an old story from 2003, or if they were saying, Hey, this is still going on. This was supposed to have stopped within a year, but it's not. So I can't, unfortunately I can't, I'm not able to pull up this Facebook article, but I don't know how the Facebook page was presenting it, but, uh, I I hope it stopped. I think it's yeah, a horrible I hope this practice. practice is done. Yeah. yeah, and you know th- this was on like a, a a page called Birth Anarchy or something. Um, I I'm not familiar with that page, but I think there are so many violations of women and violations of their autonomy. Their this is uh, disregarding their humanity straight up. Yeah, de dehumanizing actions. Um, bullying strong arming tactics that are used on them to get them to consent which isn't really consent if they're bullied and pressured into medical procedures um during birth during the whole birth process yeah i i have so many women that i know who have told horror stories every woman has a horror story about birth and how she was you know from some nurse sticking their fingers in them without even asking or saying they're going to do it just just doing it yeah uh and they didn't expect it and they experienced that as a violation to being pressured into a c-section when they didn't feel maybe after the fact that they actually needed one being told your baby's going to die unless you do this when they didn't want to sure you know and maybe after the fact they learned that it was actually maybe unnecessary there's just so many women who have stories like that. So if that's you, my heart goes out to you. I mean, I, I think there is some people call it like obstetrical rape or that kind of or birth rape or things like that. Well, you know, if I can bring up one other thing that bothers me about this mm-hmm. is that I, I imagine what if somebody found out, they, they probably went to the doctor and said, hey, what the hell did you do to me? What did you allow to get done to me? What is this? And they said, hey, look, you signed this consent form. Yeah. Motherfucker, rip up that consent form. Be a human being. Like, what oh, yeah. the hell? Like, I don't care if the person gave you the rights for whatever. Be a human being and have some, like, like conscience, you know, and some empathy. And, like, wait a minute, this ain't right. And and that's so disturbing that there's people in, 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 in various degrees that think that this was okay. And they were even defending it. It's crazy. Yep. I agree. I, there's not much more to say on it. But thank you for uh, thank you for writing in about this. That wasn't a very sexy topic. But, um 
we do have a sexy topic coming up in segment four. Let's do it. Um, I call this Viva La Resistance bands, <laughs> that is. <laughs> Stay tuned. There's more coming up. All right. You like that music here? I love that music. Jay is curious. Uh, Brian, What's he curious about? <laughs> Brian, or anybody with experience, talk to me about resistance bands. I'm looking to progress from bodyweight exercises to include more resistance training, but I question the effectiveness of these bands. But the heavy-duty ones seem to be doing the trick for some folks. What do you think? Oh, boy. So, resistance bands. Now, these are these, they look like gigantic rubber bands, Uh or maybe they look like a rope with handles at the end that are stretchy. That's right. Um I think so I I think that they're great and and I I work out I try to work out 7 days a week. Uh sometimes it's 5 or 6, but I generally try to work out 7 days a week. Um I'm not a I'll just say it straight out. I'm not a fan of resistance bands. Let me tell you what they're Really? Yeah, okay. I'll tell t- me why. I'll tell you what they're or, okay. So so there's two things that they're great for. And this is kind of going back to some very old school kind of thinking on bodybuilding. And, you know, that's an important thing to, to bring up too quick is that like there's different there's different styles of working out. There's different goals for working out like there's strongman training, there's bodybuilding, there's functional uh, uh, strength training. I mean, like there's so many different. So it depends kind of with what you want to go with. Um, but I read one of my favorite books of all time. In fact, today it's actually his birthday. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography from the 70s, oh, cool. which is um, The Education of a Bodybuilder It's is the name of it. This is a tremendous book. Now, the second half of the book, the first half is him telling his story. The second half is giving you tips and, you know, how to get started and diet and all this stuff um, for bodybuilding. And some of what's in there is still really, really good information. So one of the first things he talks about is that the first six months, you don't even want to be touching weights. You want to be doing all really? body weight exercises. Oh, wow. That's okay. This is really interesting because how would you know that if you didn't read the book? Well, right. So, so, but this, and this is the thing that's very old school thinking. A lot of times, if you go to a gym today and you go work with a personal trainer, they're going to get you on the weights in a heartbeat. Okay. And right. I, and I'm not saying that maybe. Well, if you're a young person, probably. If you're, it depends because, I mean, personal trainers will work with you on any type of goal. And sometimes people's goal is mobility and yeah. like rehabbing from an injury or right. increasing their range of motion in a certain joint or something. Right. If you're a healthy person walking in there, they are going to get you started on those weights pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, they'll and, tell you to work the large muscle groups. Yes. And, and yeah, they'll, they'll gauge what weight is right for you, but they're going to get you on that pretty quick. So now Arnold would say, no, 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 you got to build some kind of foundation for that first. Um, and like the most strenuous exercise I remember that he would show off would be um, dips between two chairs. And it was all stuff that you kind of had around the house that you would do it, but it was all body weight exercises to get you used to that before you start picking up weights. Uh-huh. I think that's a great idea. Maybe six months is too long for some people, but I think it's a great idea. Resistance bands are great for that six months because it simulates that body weight without having to, you know, have a, without the need for needing a lot of room, like if you're in a small apartment or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and all of that. I, I think they're fantastic for that. The other thing I think that they're great for. Um, so understand, I just described like they're great for beginners. Yes. Okay? The other thing that that or people who are working at at home. Right, right. The other thing that they're great for is if you're traveling a lot and even if you are a professional bodybuilder. That's right. They, the, I know these guys will take resistance bands with them 
and they will use them in the hotel room just to get some kind of workout because they're so easily packable. You fold them in. I mean, they're, they're smaller than your clothes. Right. That's the beauty of it. You don't need any weight because you have right. the resistance instead of weight. Right. So, you know, those are the two cases where I think that they're, they're really wonderful. And so they're worth having. Um, but myself, if you're talking about like bang for the buck, what you're trying to do with as little equipment as possible, which I assume if you're looking to get into resistance bands, what's that being, you know, kind of a minimalist approach to, uh, to strength training and, you know, just to getting to, to general fitness and all that. I think a good set of adjustable, uh, uh, dumbbells. Mm -hmm. is the best way to go like adjustable meaning you can choose different weights to put on them and everything yeah and i mean you can do this for a hundred bucks you can easily get something that'll go up to like 50 some odd pounds okay and that's great if you're if believe me if you're curling 50 pounds an arm you're in awesome shape uh oh yeah you, you know i mean you're not a bodybuilder <laughs> but you're in awesome shape you know uh so yeah that that's what I would recommend. And the reason I say that is like body weight's great, but it's not going to give, if you're going, it depends what you're going for. If you're going for that look and even a lot of function, eventually you're going to have to bring on a greater force of gravity than what your body provides. You're just going to have to. And I think that that's the inexpensive way, again, bang for the buck to do it. And I think I, you know, there, there's some great, great guides out there. I think you can work. I think you can get an incredible physique just with dumbbells. Um, granted there's something to be said for, you know, having the barbell over your head, you know, and doing, you know, chest presses, the whole thing. Um, but you know, that's, that's where I would go. If you're to the point of, yeah, I don't, I know a lot of people say that they, they're doing great things with, with body weight exercise. Understand body weight exercises were really a new deal in the seventies, like with, uh, with gold's gym, like, uh, the, the guy that started gold's gym, the guy with the last name gold, like he's, he came up with the entire idea of resistance bands mm -hmm. and, uh, body weight workouts and all that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you can get gains, but you're not going to get like the really noticeable gains. So it depends on what you're trying to look for. I, I don't think working at with resistance bands the rest of your life, unless you're really just looking for that mobility and some degree of functional strength, I don't think that that's really worthwhile. I would more put my money into into really a good set of adjustable weight uh, dumbbells in a heartbeat. So because that's going to take you so much farther and can really offer, in my opinion, everything that the resistance bands do. What do you think, Stephanie? That's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Um, so first of all, I want to say, if you are in the market for resistance bands for any of the products that we're going to talk about here, or if you're in the market for dumbbells or barbells, you should go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and it'll take you to Amazon and you can Absolutely. buy your stuff through there. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So, um, so there's that, but, uh, here's my opinion on bands. I think, like you said, Brian, they are awesome for travel. Yeah. It, it's just a, a great backup to have a, a set of bands so that you can at least know that if you're traveling, you're not going to be stopped or, or held back from getting a, a workout with resistance, with weight training. With something. With yeah. something because you didn't have the equipment. Because you can pack that in your suitcase. It's super light. You really only have to bring one band pretty much. Yep. Unless you're like super, super strong. But if you have a set of bands, you can kind of add them together. You can lip, you can uh, curl with like three bands, for instance, or something sure. like that. Or you can just use a really thick band. Um, they have different tensions i guess that are representative of sort of different weights so i have a, a set of like five of them that i use for uh, arm exercises that, that between the five of them i can always find one that works for whatever exercise i'm doing yeah 
Now I will say it helps to watch some videos if you're going to be doing arm exercises with the bands because sometimes you have to get a little bit creative. Yes, there's a thing where you can step on the middle of the band and you can hold the two handles in your hands and do curls. That's one thing. Yeah. But if you're doing tricep uh, presses, you can sort of step on the band with one foot and use your other hand behind your back as a guide and do the tricep press with your with your remaining free hand. And that's like a little bit hard to, to figure out on your own. Mm-hmm. Also, like if you're doing rows, you can kind of curl the band into a circle and step on the cross point of the circle and then row it like a lawnmower. But it's hard to figure that out that you can do all those things with the bands unless you're really, really creative. It's hard to figure that out by yourself. Sure. So to get the most out of your bands, I would recommend doing a, a DVD or something, just watching a video, seeing how other people use the bands so you can figure out how to use them yourself. The other thing that I really like to use bands for, and this is a completely different use, is for assisted pull-ups and dips. Yeah, I was thinking of that too. They are so good for that. So th- this is when, if you are like me, perhaps you're a, a woman or you are you just don't have a lot of upper body strength yet, you're working on it, but you want to be able to do pu- uh, pull-ups and do a set of pull-ups, like six or eight, you know, mm-hmm. and dips, um, but you're still building up your upper body strength. Well, you can loop a giant rubber band um, over the pull-up bar, and then you can step on it with one or both feet, and it'll kind of spring you up, and it'll provide a counterweight to your body weight so that you're not doing a pull-up with your full body weight. You're doing a pull-up with your body weight minus whatever the tension the rubber band provides and lifts you up. So it makes it basically easier to do pull-ups, and you can do more of them. Whereas for me, like I can maybe do one or two pull-ups with just my body weight, but with the bands, I can do six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you have more to add on that? Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I also, I feel there, there's such, there are so many important, if you're a guy, there's so many important exercises. Like one of the, one of the, one of the body parts on guys that get, uh, that gets ignored a lot is the chest and I really? think guys ignore their chest. I think I, I don't think people work do, doing you generally do not do enough work on, okay. their, on their chest. In fact, usually when you go to a personal trainer, like that's one of the areas they concentrate a lot, a lot on because most people don't do what it takes to like to really start developing your chest muscles and all that and getting, you know, the nice big pecs and whatever. Um, Are they too busy concentrating on other people's chest to, to uh, focus on their own? That could very well be. <laughs> but I don't think bands can do anything for chest. I, I mean, I can picture a couple like stretch kind of motions that would yeah. be good for your chest. But it's not like with a set of dumbbells where you could be doing renegade rows. Uh, you could you could use the dumbbells to double as uh, as a great like push up guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a million options that that just I don't think a band is really going to provide. I mean, like I said, I well, can picture chest, some. But I think it's like I think you don't need bands because it's easy to do body weight exercises, i.e. push ups. Yeah, push ups. Like, push ups yeah. are the simple one of the simplest body weight exercises. Um, so there's not really much use for bands, I guess, when it comes to chest, but it's harder to do like, for example, uh, biceps and triceps with body weight. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I just can't picture, I guess in my mind, I can't picture bands being my whole gym like ever. And even, yeah. even if I wasn't going for, I mean, now my workout goals, like I want to be, you know, a human monster. I mean, pretty much, you know, just a beast and minor, you know, that may not be this person's goals. Right. Uh, but for my goals, like it just, there's that, that just wouldn't fly and it, it, it couldn't, it really couldn't last. I will say if you want to, I, you know, just a little plug for myself, I guess on my uh, YouTube channel, if you just go to, if you just go to YouTube, type in Brian Sovereign, there's no other Brian Sovereigns out there. Um, 
and I have a video, it's about 30 minutes long, that's pretty much my entire fitness regimen. That hasn't changed much. Uh, and, and if you want to check that out, you know, you can, you can get into that. Is it like a video of you working out? No, no, it's just me talking. I think we it's should a, do workout videos sometime. Yeah, that could be Maybe fun. Maybe a but Patreon. See, thing. so, so, all right, well, let, how, how much time do we have? Do we have a couple minutes? Oh, yeah, we have a couple minutes. Okay, so one of the things I like to do, and this is great if you want to get into bands or something, and I, I talk with this with a lot of people because I don't think this gets brought up enough, especially if you're working out alone or something. For me, one of the things that helps me, that kind of puts me over the edge in whatever kind of workout I'm doing, I mean, and this would work with if you're using bands or if you're using dumbbells or whatever you're working uh, working with. Um, at the gym, you can kind of automatically do this in quasi-creepy ways, I guess. But I like, I'm like role-playing in my head. And like, I might even, I might even like imagine like if you're not usually you and I work out together, Stephanie. Yeah. But like I might imagine that you're there, like you know, doing something very sexy, and like you know, I, I like to role play, and I like I, I don't know, I just I like to get really really mental with my workouts and really really get inside the muscle and everything. Mental. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like if I'm doing like if I'm doing some kind of rows or something or like. Uh, um, Oh, now I can't think of the name of, of the workout, but like almost like like pickup rows, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where like if you were like lifting a wheelbarrow or something like honestly, like I'll imagine there's, you know, a couple of hot women or something perhaps in that wheelbarrow, you know, when I'm doing these lists and everything. <laughs> That'd and, be and, fun. And if you can like, yeah, it would be fun, right? Um, or if you're doing the push-ups, you can imagine, you know, there's a hot gal sitting on your back or something like that, you know, kind of take you to the next level and oh, keep yeah. pushing you up. It's better than and, a monkey on your back. Yeah, you're right. So, but I mean, I think playing those kind of like those, those little bit of like, uh, you know, make-believe games or something or a little role-playing in your head when, when you're working out you can make it ridiculously sexy and 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 i think it can really like more than anything can bolster you know your your gains and your how far you go oh sure because it makes it more fun to work out absolutely sure because sure, a lot of us work out just to look good naked right you know because when we do get freaky i mean a lot of people do that for some people yeah i mean i think a lot of people work out to feel good and to sure. in increase their health and to live longer sure sure oh that's that's a part of it too but i mean i think you know, looking good naked, certainly a part of that's it a motivation. Well. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, get in, get in the mindset of that. I think, I mean, there's nothing woo woo there. Just, just getting, getting it in your head, your goals, what you want to do. I think that that does a lot. So uh, how do bands fit in with your, or don't fit in with your role play? Well, hell, I mean, it, honestly, if you want to use bands in a role play, I mean, I'd instantly be going to like some kind of BDSM situation, you know, <laughs> like tying I'd, someone up, yeah, and you're like you're stretching them, yeah. Oh yeah, I uh -huh. mean, I, I mean, that could get hot fast, and uh, you know, I agree, and I and I think that's great. I think to do that sort of thing, I mean, it's going to make you sweat even more. I guarantee you that. It, mm -hmm. it certainly does for me. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's be creative with that sort of stuff. Uh, that way, I you're working thought... out your mind and your muscles. Speaking of creativity, I just thought of how you can do a uh, chest with a with bands. You loop them around a pole, and then you stand with your back to the pole, and then you push the the handles of the bands away from. Yeah, you. yeah. I mean, you could do right. I mean, these there's a couple motions I imagine. Like you could just have them behind your back. Yeah, and you could just be doing like chest push. Yeah, that uh, might give you free back waxing though. <laughs> well, right, but I mean, you could just be doing chest presses like with with the bands, you know, kind of running behind your back. So or a pull, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some I could imagine, but some of the more unique ways to really build like an impressive chest, I just don't think bands can can offer those those exercises. Yeah, I mean, I I I really think with all kinds of fitness, at the end of the day, it's about what works for you, and it's about yes. what you can stick with. 
So if you can't afford a set of dumbbells or if you don't have access to a gym, but you can afford a set of bands. Do the bands. Use those bands. Use the shit out of those bands. Absolutely. I agree. And if it's fun for you to use bands, if you like it because it feels like you're playing with a giant rubber band, by all means, do it. Whatever helps you stick with the exercise and whatever helps you have fun while you work out. That's the moral of the story. Have fun. And hey, we're done for tonight. But there's more Sex and Science Hour coming up on the after show. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. There's that music again. It's time for the after show here on Sex and Science Hour. Leaning all close to the mic. <laughs> Brian, you may want to move a little bit closer. Yeah, come in. Yeah, we'll make this an intimate gathering. Alright, so what did folks buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this time? Well, um, we had gone through a lot of the stuff from our season break, but now we're on to July. So this is from July 2017. And wow, there were some interesting purchases in July 2017. First off, I sorted the items by the most expensive things. Okay. And the most expensive item that was bought this month was the uh, ceiling fan. It's got, it's very nice. It's got golden maple and cherry blades with white frosted glass, 52 inches, brushed, polished nickel. Wow. And the price point is $210. So somebody bought a ceiling fan on Sex and Science Hour. Got a ceiling Stuff fan. Sexandsciencehour.com. Got a ceiling fan cooling us down right now. Yes. Yeah. And we've got a fan of the show. So that, there are, there are fan. Haha. <laughs> Get it? Punny. Very punny. <laughs> Uh, we also had um, a faucet. So maybe someone was outfitting their home. This is like a really cool modern faucet with like a, a swirly thing around it. I think it's like one oh, of those ones. Oh, that's a sprayer. Where you, yeah, yeah, it has a sprayer. So nice. you can spray down your partner and tease them a little bit. Oh, you know, wet water. t-shirt contest. Wet t-shirt contest. Got Car it. wash. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Car wash, yeah. <laughs> Somebody bought the cloud lifter, which is, um, the cloud lifter is like a preamp or a, a little, um, it's a booster to the signal of a microphone. Yeah. And what you do is basically you have a microphone. A lot of microphones on their own, they don't have the capacity to turn the gain up very high. They need to go through another thing called a processor that makes you able to manipulate the audio a little bit and boost the signal. So this this is called the cloud lifter. You plug your microphone into this, and then you plug what comes out the other end into your computer USB port or something like that, or mixing board. And what this does is um, it acts as a uh, phantom power and a, a volume gain of 25 decibels. Nice. Yep. So, and it's called the cloud lifter and it's little, it's very small. It fits in the palm of your hand. So cloud lifter, 149 bucks. Very cool. I definitely recommend the cloud lifter. Actually, I don't recommend it because I've never used it myself, but <laughs> I've heard good things about it. So there we go. maybe this person can let us know how that went for them. Uh, somebody, oh, I think we already talked about this one. Somebody bought a drill. Um, <laughs> we had uh, a hood for a Chevrolet Express van, 96 to 02. 
Wow. It's like a replacement hood for a Chevy truck. And it literally looks like a a hood of of a van. Okay, drive on. (laughs) There were some items for doggy purchased. Adventure medical kits, adventure dog series, me and my dog, canine first aid kit. Oh, How cute is that? that 45 is bucks and you get a canine first aid kit with a book about wilderness medicine in it. And it's got all kinds of stuff that your dog might need. So like ice packs, band-aids, tape, scissors. Um, Fascinating that it's green and not red, making it very clear it's not for humans. Well, it says me and my dog. So it has both human and uh, animal first aid. Oh. It says. So, yeah, I said it was just for dog first, but I, I realized when I read the distri- description that it's both for human and dog. Somehow so, yeah, I feel cool. insulted, but let's continue. <laughs> well, how are you supposed to keep them separate? Like, how do you know what's for the dog and what's for you? Yeah, I know. I mean, like, okay, so there's kibbles and bits in there. Like, well, all right, I guess I'll eat those. <laughs> I mean, you get hungry while you're hiking, right? <laughs> KitchenAid five-speed diamond blender in metallic chrome. This is a $100 blender. So it better be fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> no, make just those kidding. shakes, baby. I have a $100 blender. It's a ninja blender. Ninja. And you use it all the time, Brian, right? Yep, that's how I make my protein shakes. Yep. It does a hell of a job. So that looks wild. Yeah, that looks that's a, a KitchenAid blender. Yeah, that looks serious. All right. Kirby Genuine Pet Owners Foaming Carpet Shampoo Lavender Scented One Gallon. This is serious. Wow. They're buying a gallon of carpet shampoo. I think you, you're supposed to dilute it, too. Lavender is a great scent. That's, it is. I use that in my deodorant. Yeah, that's one of your favorites, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Lavender is one of those smells that in study after study proves to be a favorite of men. And it increases penile blood flow. Wow. Which well, means in non-scientific jargon, it gives you a boner. Well, I've gotten a lot. I, I've gotten compliments from women as well that, you know, oh my God, I you smell so good. I love the smell of lavender. So, yeah, yeah, it's delicious. Um, The... Amisting Magnetic Building Blocks Big Size Toy Tile Sheet Kit. These are like Legos, but they're not they're not shaped like Legos. They're like hollow shapes. There's like triangles and like trapezoids and hexagons, and they either snap or magnetize together, and you can build stuff out of them like pyramids and spaceships and animals yeah, and looks, Eiffel Towers. Looks really cool. Looks There's like sacred geometry. Sacred geometry going yeah, on there. Definitely. Yeah, Got to teach those kids Pythagorean <laughs> theorem for some reason. Yeah, that's right. Pythagoras played with these when he was a boy. For $19, you get a 26-piece set. Uh, Somebody bought two sets of those, actually. So there's there's more. There's an expansion pack. (laughs) That looks pretty cool. Uh, Somebody got a mildew-resistant shower curtain. Antibacterial, too. Now, this was $10.99. It's antibacterial and antifungal. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they put in it. I don't know if it's just made out of inert material or if it has like triclosan in it. Laced with spermicide? Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. But it is water repellent and reliable. Oh, good. And you need a shower curtain liner. I yeah. Mean, come on. Let's get real. Inolife bo- <laughs> bone-shaped dog waste bag dispenser. <laughs> this is really cute. So it's like a little dog bone with a hole in it. And it has little doggy do bags that come out of it. It's like a dispenser. So that when you're walking your dog, you have this little bone clipped onto your belt <laughs> and you just pull out a bag and you pooper scooper that shit right up. Well, that's convenient. Somebody really loves their dog. Yes, I think so. There were a lot of doggy things and it's only one. It's only 99 cents yeah. for this doggy no, dispenser. Oh, sorry. nine ninety nine. You're yeah. right. <laughs> Don't want to be misleading people about their doggy stuff here on Sex and Science Hour. <laughs> and just as a dog needs doggy do bags. 
humans need toilet paper. So somebody got Charmin ultra strong toilet paper, mega roll six pack for $7. So now this is more than $1 per roll of toilet paper. But if you clip, there's a coupon, you can clip $1 off. If you clip the coupon, then it comes probably down to about a dollar per roll. Really? Well, yeah. it's 24 rolls. But it's really right? good toilet paper. Oh, six count. Yeah, right. So a dollar per roll. I mean, okay. you're literally throwing money down, throwing a dollar down the toilet. Yeah. Every time really, you just use one of these. Stop shitting. <laughs> like, solve the problem. Or strike the root. Stop no. shitting. <laughs> strike the root. No, you're just kidding. I mean, I like to have good toilet paper. And I'll, I will say, Charmin is luxury toilet paper. It's really good. Yeah. Do you remember when Cheryl Crow said people should only use one, <laughs> one sheet of toilet, like, one, one square? For, yeah, only use one square. Do you remember that? No. Oh, it was, that was a huge scandal. Oh, I bet that was controversial. And she said, she's like, well, I was kind of kidding. And <gasps> I I don't think she was kidding. <laughs> I, she's one of those. She's I like mean, an environmentalist. Yeah. And to some degree, like legit, like she has real concerns because supposedly she got her, like her cancer or whatever it was because of like BPAs and plastic bottles sitting out in the sun. Because, oh, you know, she, she just wants to soak up the sun, right? Uh <laughs> bad joke but she's no she's it was dead serious oh, that, wow. that she she blames it on the fact that these plastic you know bottles were sitting out in the sun and that's what ended up kind of giving her you know giving her her cancer uh which she got through but wow. anyway yeah so so she is kind of environmentally li- i mean i i get environmentalism but she's a little yeah extreme, so, yeah yeah oh boy anyway uh, well, somebody got a Wi-Fi range extender. Speaking of polluting the environment, yeah, um, for kill 20, the bees for twenty nine dollars, you can kill all the bees you want and have <laughs> Wi-Fi signal all over your home. Netgear N three hundred. Nice. Uh, somebody got the unique in its property. Oh. Now, what was the scandal with that? Oh heavens! So I, <laughs> I did on my Sovereign Tech Patreon. Um, I did an entire episode that covered the scandal on this. But the concern was is that the person who owns the publishing company. Um, that being Kevin Slaughter, I believe is his name. And the company is Underworld Amusements that publishes this book. Uh, and the an, book is a new translation of The Ego and Its Own Max, by, Ma- by Max Stirner, largely, who wrote it originally in German. He was largely, you know, he basically founded the idea of egoism. Yeah, yeah, and from the 19th century. Uh, so this is the first new English translation in 100 years. It is a very well done translation. Um, I will say I don't agree with the... Uh, Wolfie Landstreicher did the translation. He also did a translation of Sterner's Critics, which is I, I thought was fantastic. Um, I don't agree with his interpretation, but his translation is is great. I have no problem with his translation, uh, largely. But his interpretation is kind of funny because he, he thinks that Max Sterner was just being a, a troll, that he was just like fucking with everybody and that he wasn't serious. Like he's being sarcastic throughout the entire book. Now that is a huge 180 on how anybody has ever interpreted max sterner's work you know most people take it no this is absolutely serious and he's right like all these things are phantasms and spooks and all these social institutions are you know they're not real and we shouldn't be paying attention to them and all that Uh, i'm a huge fan i i call myself when pressed i call myself an egoist anarchist so i love this book um but there's a big scandal that that the 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 publishing house supports the alt-right and so if you're buying copies of this book, somehow you're supporting the alt-right. Um, Wolfie Lonstriker did something to, he addressed the entire situation. He did something to solve it. Get your hands on this book. 
Okay, you know, I I can't stand the alt-right. It's one of the dumbest and worst things, you know, to ever come out of humanity, among many things that that are terrible about humanity. Um, But (laughs) this is is a great book. And, you know, go, go ahead and get your hands on it. So, so how did Wolfie address the the critics? Well, honestly, he he made it available. He like he took his book files mm-hmm. and gave them to friends to distribute freely. So you can get like electronic versions. So you don't have to support the publisher by yeah, buying so, it right. copy. You can just get an electronic version of it. But if you want the hard copy, look, this is how you fucking get the hard copy. Like, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> I suppose you could print it out from the PDF. The, these you arguments, really want, but then you're supporting the printer companies and the paper companies. Yeah, I mean these arguments. They might get, be Nazis too. Right. I mean these arguments get kind of crazy. Like um, uh, Zondervan, who publishes one of the more popular versions uh, translations of the of the you know the Bible mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. Um, that being the New International Version, they publish. They are part of a publishing company that publishes all kinds of shit, gay shit. You know, like crazy shit, stuff that's downright, you know, if, if I were a Christian, they would be downright satanic. But the same company also publishes the Bible. Like, <laughs> I, I'm all about being a conscious consumer. Huh. But how do they square that circle? Well, what happens is, is you get people that say, that's why you should only buy the King James Version. You oh. know, I, I mean, it, it, it's it, just the arguments get, get kind of weird. And anyway, if you really want to hear all about it, become a patron for Sovereign Tech. It's episode 112, I think, on Patreon. Um, and, and I, and I cover the whole thing and I, I just say how it's all nonsense and I, I, I think it's a fine book. So please continue. All right. All right. Well, somebody got some fabric softener sheets bounce outdoor fresh 240 count for eight ninety six plus a dollar off coupon if you clip it, but that's always mm-hmm. how they get you. You, cause you forget to clip the coupon. You hate, I you, hate coupons. Well, no, you don't hate coupons. <laughs> you hate. I hate saving money. No, no, <laughs> no. You hate uh, uh, laundry. Oh, fabric softener. Fabric softener oh, sheets. Fuck and all that. That yeah. Shit. Yes, I do hate it. Yeah, I those sheets. It, I am. I'm very sensitive, and it you irritates are. my nose, and it's like irritates my skin. It's like ugh, just feel like I'm covered in a film. Yeah. So we don't use fabric softener in my house. We like our hard shirts and blankets and towels, like yeah. a stiff board. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I can use, like, literally, I was building my new studio, and, like, for the wood, you know, I had to sand down the wood a bit. I just used our shirts, I mean, because, like, they, they were so, you know, they're, they're like sandpaper. Yeah, because it's a surprising of, alternative yeah, use. No fabric softener, it worked great. So, multi-purpose. <laughs> There's your environmentalism for you. Oh, my God. Um, so, somebody bought all these dictionaries. You want to know what the dictionaries are? Now we're into the books here. Okay. Um, somebody bought all these dictionaries. So first we've got a dictionary of world history from the Oxford Quick Reference. This wide-ranging dictionary contains a wealth of information on all aspects of history, from prehistory up to the present day. And of course, there's an Egyptian head on the cover. Of course. Uh, so there's that. It's I don't know if this is like a school child or like somebody who's in college or something like that. But there's all these dictionaries that were purchased... Oh, boy. And now they're not coming up for me. Um, all right. Well, maybe that... A lot of dictionaries. Maybe we'll not have to go with the plan to uh, to talk about those. Uh, Viva. Oh, no. Here we go. A okay. dictionary of marketing. We have a dictionary of marketing. A dictionary of accounting. <laughs> the dictionary of marketing should just be... It's all lies. <laughs> it's all lies. Dictionary, dictionary of accounting is 3,800 entries can, covering all aspects of accounting, including 
financial reporting, management accounting, taxes. Same Ooh. thing. It should just open up the book and say it's yeah, all taxation lies. is theft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Oxford Dictionary of Philosophy. Well, sounds interesting. You know what? Aristotle what, to Zen. <laughs> whoever got this, let me know if Sterner's in that or not. Because if Sterner's uh, not in it, yeah. they're full of crap. Especially uh, since Oxford themselves have have in the past. Or no, it wasn't Oxford. I'm sorry. It was Cambridge. Oh. Cambridge published uh, copies of the That's Ego and its rival. Own. Yeah. Uh, Dictionary of Finance and Banking. Dictionary of lies. Business Management. <laughs> it's all horizontal. Dictionary of Biology. This is real. This might be for like a like a library or something, I wonder. Anyway, um, we had some bubble mailers and they're purple. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I've never seen this before. I don't know how you, I guess you slap an address label on it, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Coming to you from Prince. Somebody must be selling like an online product or something. Sure. Somebody got victorious. It's the holidays and the kids, this is a TV series. It's the holidays and the kids have to find the perfect secret Santa gifts for each other. Also this season, Jade and Beck help Sinjin with a game show. Tori awaits the release of the new pair phone and... (laughs) pair phone <laughs> and the gang has an interesting time in detention that's okay. cute it All looks right. like a high school show or something that's cute Save i love high school movies and shows um skin spatulas that's interesting uh beauty pink pack of 100 cosmetic makeup disposable plastic spatulas so these are like probably for lipstick samples and stuff oh geez i thought they were for cannibals like Skin spatulas. Oh, it's like when you get a little sample and... of the ice cream, you just like scoop it up and give it to the person. Here you go. On this like tiny little spoon. Yeah, but I was thinking with human flesh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I knew what you were thinking. Yeah, okay. Um, so in the in the toilet paper war oh no, this isn't toilet paper. I was gonna say in the toilet paper war. No, Viva's very This specific. is paper towels. Viva choose a sheet paper towels. Brian, so, you choose. Which, how many sheets do you want? One, two, or four? Well, so so Viva is very specific. Like mm-hmm. It's a very specific brand that you use for very specific things. Um, I mean, you can use it for really? anything. What do you use Viva for? What it mainly gets used for is by painters oh. and by people that do like a lot of model work. Oh. Because Viva, unlike other paper towels, mm-hmm. doesn't... Like, you know how, how when you put, like, a paper towel on something sticky and, like, the white, or, or even if, like, you rubbed a paper towel, like, on your black shirt or something, there'd be this white stuff that yes, comes off flakes, on. Yeah. Flakes, from Flakes of paper from the paper towel. Viva does not have that. Oh, uh, And okay. so it's very popular with, uh, with artists. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, stays t- strong when wet to help resist ripping or tearing. Yep. And little pieces. Yep. But you have to clip the coupon. It was six ninety nine a dollar off coupon, but you got to clip it. Can we do they do triple coupons? No. Double coupons? No. What no, Jeff fuck? Bezos doesn't need your fucking coupon. <laughs> Not with Whole He's Foods. the richest man in the world. It was. <laughs> Philips Sonicare replacement toothbrush heads, two pack. Tupac. I need that. I need a replacement for yeah, you Sonicare. Yeah, like I don't like these. You don't like electric toothbrushes no, or just Sonicare? No. Electric toothbrushes. Oh. Like the vibration like vibrates my entire head. Oh, I get strange. that. I really get that. Yeah. I somehow I got used to the toothbrushes, but man, I can't use like a water pick or any of that yep. stuff. Ooh. Um, and you're gonna need toothbrushes if you eat what our next purchaser bought: Kraft macaroni and cheese original dinner mm. five pack. Give it to me, baby. Oh my god! I used to eat macaroni and cheese when I was a kid, and looking back in retrospect, this was the worst thing ever because I'm allergic to wheat and dairy. Yeah. 
And it made me so fat and bloated and like horribly in a bad mood. Well, there's even more mac and cheese. <laughs> and they bought more mac and cheese too. Okay. They just I love can't mac get enough. Um, it I was a four a pack of dinner cups, 2.5, two, two ounces. So these are like, these are like ramen noodle cups, but like full of mac and cheese. So you just, I guess you just like heat it up or something, or you like, I don't know what you do. I just add okay. water ready in three and a half minutes. Can't beat that time. And finally, in the books, in the Kindle books, The Asylum for Wayward Victorian Girls. Oh, my. Wow, that, that sounds, sounds um, uh, something sexy. Like, yeah. <laughs> Two young women living centuries apart, both accused of madness, communicate across time to fight a common enemy, their doctors. Ooh. Oh, my God. Ooh, chilling. And it has, like, a picture of these, like, these, like, feet and legs with, like, ripped up tights on the front. You Ooh. think they're doing... Um, oh my. They're doing something in there. You think they're doing uh, unconscious pelvic exams? Yes, I do. Yikes. I definitely do. Yikes. Okay. Well, on that note, it's time to end our show for tonight. Thank you for <laughs> tuning in. Make sure to do your shopping at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com, and hopefully we'll have an exciting announcement about that soon, too. But stay tuned. We'll be back at you next Friday. Sexandsciencehour.com. Send us your relationship questions, show prep, or just... Uh, Comments, feedback, whatever you whatever you like. Yeah. Sexandsciencehour.com. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.